Agriculture of America is brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel. Diesel that doesn't mess around. Informing America's farmers and ranchers, this is AOA, produced by the American Ag Radio Network. Now, here's your host, Mike Pearson. Hello, folks, and welcome to AOA. Thanks for making us a part of your day. We've got a busy show here. We're going to be talking with Darren Newsom in just a moment about what is moving here in these markets, both the agricultural and the more broad market economies. And then in segment two, we're going to check in with John Baranek of DTN Weather. We're seeing the weather move into sort of the background here. For those of us in North America, it's winter, it's cold, it's probably going to stay that way. The focus is picking up on South America as that crop continues to grow down there. And in segment three, Leah Biondo, Executive Vice President of the U.S. Cattlemen's Association, will be on the show. Their annual meeting, the 15th annual meeting, takes place later this week. Leah is going to give us an update as to what attendees can expect. And then in segment four, we're going to talk with our friends from Cenex about keeping those fluids clean in your machinery. But before we drive into all of that, if we're thinking fluids, well, we could certainly think about crude oil. That has been a volatile market over the past couple of weeks. Last Monday, Darren Newsom joined us on the program, and we were talking about the low of crude down there around 73 bucks. And we were wondering if it was going to rally, and my goodness, it did. Joining us again is Darren Newsom, Bar Chart Senior Market Analyst. Darren, let's talk about what's happened here in this crude market over the past week. It has been volatile, hasn't it? Oh, it really has, Mike. Uh, as, as you mentioned, you know, when we were talking last week, we were down in the 70s, and it did not take any time at all for the West Texas Intermediate Market to jump back up over $80. And, you know, from a purely technical point of view, if we look at last week's activity, that's about as clear as of, of a bullish reversal pattern as we're going to get on the weekly chart. So not a huge surprise. And what's interesting is this was before all of the weekend news. So it's not a huge surprise that we're seeing some follow through buying uh, this week. But I, I really think the table was set. You know, we got the why to the what over the weekend with all of the different news stories that came out. Well, let's zero in on some of those news stories, particularly as they relate to crude. Darren, you mentioned the mm -hmm. West Texas Intermediate. That's the American, effectively, price mm -hmm. of crude oil. Then the Brent is the European. And this week, we're seeing the EU put their Russian price cap on Russian crude oil. How is that going to work, and how is that going to impact the markets, if at all? Okay, what, what it does is it caps the Brent market at $60. Now, you know, there's, there's still going to be a cash market, you know, with basis fluctuating well above that. But the, but the Brent market's locked in at $60. And this is for all of the Russian oil that is seaborne right now. So that's, that's where part of the problem was, you know, Russia was going ahead and sending out its, its, uh, its ships. And then those, you know, were avoiding sanctions as they went to all these other countries. And now there's a hard cap now on those, uh, on those seaborne uh, vessels as well. There's also uh, the sanctions that are going into place uh, against the full sanctions going into place from the EU uh, against uh, Russian oil at this point as well. So we were basic. What Europe is basically doing, what the U.S. has already done, is, is shutting off uh, Russian oil and any profits for Russian oil going back into the Kremlin. That's all going to go away. Theoretically, that's all going to go away. So this cap is supposed to lock it in at sixty dollars max uh, and. Now, Russia is going to be sending it off to other countries still that are not taking part uh, in the sanctions, not taking part in the cap. But for the biggest part of Europe, they're, you know, it's going to basically shut down about 90 percent of the crude oil that they buy uh, from Russia. 
And Darren, it's going to be interesting to watch this play out because you mentioned that Russia can still work with other countries who aren't subject to the cap. I think China, I think yeah. India. Fundamentally, does this change the crude oil balance sheet at all globally or is it just a realignment of what goes where? I, that's a good way of putting it. I think it's a realignment of what goes where, because it's interesting. And the point that was in this mor uh, program this morning on CNBC was a fascinating point, is that the very day that these went in, the very day that these all, all these sanctions and caps took place, China announced that they were leveling off or they're taking away some of their uh, zero tolerance COVID policy. So that increased demand for Brent crude, for crude, for global uh, crude oil in general, considerably just by that one act at the very same time that supplies were supposed to you know, be cut. So now we've got decreasing supplies and we've got increasing demand from China. So that's supposed to even everything out. You know, It's supposed to help push the market back up again. Meanwhile, over the weekend, we had OPEC saying, right now they're going to stick with their production cuts. So we've got all of this going on. Uh, and OPEC plus is basically driven by Russia these days. Uh, so now we've got all this going on and we'll have to see how the markets play out. We got the initial uh, rally, about 2% rally in, in both uh, West Texas Intermediate and Brent overnight. Things have calmed down a bit, but now we'll see what happens as we move forward. Darren, you mentioned that China reopening, scaling back mm -hmm. their zero COVID rules and regulations, definitely impacting the crude market. On the ag side, are there mm -hmm. any ag commodities that could be direct beneficiaries of China reopening? You know, we, we naturally we always think of soybeans, but we've had good exports this whole time of soybeans. Our soybean exports have been picking up, which is what they do this time of year. But, you know, what we have to watch now is the March, May and May, July soybean spreads. Is China getting more interested in getting more comfortable with what Brazil could be producing uh, as we get deeper into the winter, say that Feb, March time frame when, when the combines start rolling down south? So that's going to be our window as to, for, as to how we watch this play out. Will that have it? Will will the will the lessening of the or the weakening of the zero COVID policy change that? Probably not. But I think it's going to be key what those spreads do as far as how much we can expect in the second half of the marketing year for U.S. exports of soybeans. All right, and Darren, what should we be watching in those spreads? What direction should it be moving to help give us some guidance? You know, if we see the carry in those spreads starting to strengthen, so in other words, March losing ground to May, May losing ground to July, it means China or the world's largest buyer is getting more comfortable with Brazilian production. If those spreads start to tighten and even move back into an inverse, then there's growing concern that maybe Brazilian production isn't going to be enough to fully take care of Chinese demand. So, you know, if the, it comes down to carry strengthening, more comfortable. If we go back into an inverse, less comfortable, tighter supply and demand situation globally. All right. So much focus on that weather in South America. We'll talk to John Baranek here in just a moment about that. But Darren, I want to turn our focus over to the protein markets, particularly the cattle trade. What did we learn last week in the live cattle trade, cash and futures? We Anything? learned, I learned that I still do not understand the cattle markets because it made no sense to me whatsoever. Uh, we had this, the cash in the South stay flat at about 155. We had a big rally in the futures market. Future spreads actually got a little bit more bearish uh, last week, which was what I thought was interesting. And non-commercial traders did some buying. Or, excuse me, they they actually you know covered. Excuse me, they decreased their net long futures position as of last Tuesday. So it seemed like everybody was selling, yet the market went up. 
boxed beef took a beating, uh, particularly at the end of last week with the choice market. Uh, so there really didn't seem to be any reason for the market to go higher, yet it did. Uh, so it'll be interesting to see how this week plays out, particularly if some of the outside markets begin to put some pressure on, uh, some spillover pressure on the live cattle. All right. We'll be watching for that cash trade to develop, folks. You can keep up with Darren's thoughts at Bar Chart. Darren Newsom is the senior market analyst there at Bar Chart. We always appreciate his insights, especially when these things get volatile. Darren, thank you so much for joining us here today. Thanks for having me on again, Mike. And folks, stick around. When AOA returns, we're going to dig into that South American weather with our friend John Baranek of DTN Weather. Stay with us. We'll have more AOA coming up when we return. Agriculture of America is brought to you by Senex Maxtron Synthetic Diesel Engine Oils. Oils that run smart. Tune in the first Wednesday of every month to listen to the monthly grind here on AOA. It's brought to you by our friends at the National Corn Growers Association, and each month we're going to dig into one specific aspect of corn demand. What happens to this grain after it leaves your operations and enters the global supply chain? That's what we're going to talk about each month on the monthly grind. Again, that's the first Wednesday of every month, and you can also find us wherever you listen to your favorite podcast. It's a show you don't want to miss. Join us every Tuesday for Around the Table, brought to you by CHS, as we discuss how cooperatives support farmers and ranchers and build strong communities. Each week, we'll chat with voices from across the cooperative system. From global market access to local expertise, we'll explore how co-op ownership means you own a world of opportunities. Tune in on Tuesdays or visit cooperativeownership.com to learn more. 2022 will be remembered for chaos between war, inflation, and weather. But if there's one thing farmers know, it's that there's no such thing as normal. That's why this year's DTN Ag Summit will focus on strategies to help conquer the chaos and ways farmers can build endurance for their business. Hear from leaders at CHS, Bayer, and Corteva, as well as farmers from across the country, all from the comfort of your home or office. Join us for this completely virtual event held December 12th and 13th. Register today at DTN.com slash Ag Summit. The landscape of media has changed and people are more skeptical than ever about where they get their news and information. While major news outlets show decreasing credibility, your local farm radio station still shows strong marks. In a recent survey, farmers rated information from their farm broadcasters as almost twice as reliable as major news outlets. Farm radio continues to be transparent, honest, and trustworthy. This message brought to you by the National Association of Farm Broadcasting. What do Mick Jagger, Barbara Walters, and Star Jones all have in common? They've all suffered from something called heart valve disease. Heart valve disease affects 11 million Americans, and if left untreated, can lead to death. Unfortunately, less than one in four Americans have much knowledge of this disease that kills more than 25,000 people every year. The good news is that if heart valve disease is treated, patients can recover and live long, happy, and productive lives. But in order to treat heart valve disease, you need to know if you have it. 
If you or your loved ones are over the age of 65, have been treated with radiation to the chest, have been diagnosed with a heart murmur, or have a history of heart disease, it's time to listen to your heart. Ask your doctor today about screening for heart valve disease. A message brought to you by Heart Valve Voice US. For more information about the symptoms and treatment for valve disease, go to heartvalvevoice-us.org. Agriculture of America is brought to you by Senex Premium Diesel. Diesel that doesn't mess around. Keeping America's farmers and ranchers informed on AOA. Now back to Mike Pearson. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to AOA. We appreciate you making us a part of your day. We're going to turn our focus over to the weather. John Baranek, Chief Meteorologist from DTN Weather, joins us here today. John, thanks for joining us. And always good to be on with you, Mike. Hope you had a great weekend. You know, it wasn't too bad at all. We got some warm-ups here in the central part of the U.S. on Sunday. John, what's happening right now to start the week? Who's getting some moisture? Yeah, we've got uh, kind of an active pattern really setting up here this week. Uh, we had a, a front move through over the weekend and kind of stalled out kind of across the southern uh, portions of the country. And it's going to remain active here all week long. Uh, showers really from kind of the Mississippi River eastward to the southern Appalachians are going to be quite active. Uh, daily showers just about every day. Um, we will get a storm system, though, kind of forming over uh, Texas here, kind of Wednesday, Wednesday night. And then that will move northeast along the Ohio River for Thursday and Friday. We'll see a lot more widespread precipitation with that, especially on the north side of that. So we'll get some uh, some precipitation into the central plains, into the, into the southern Midwest uh, with that as well. Well, that is good news for those folks there, particularly in the Southern Plains. John, give us the impact in Texas. How far south is the storm going to go, and is it going to bring any relief to the Panhandle area? Panhandle, is it's tough to say. I don't know if we're really going to see a whole lot for it. Um, really, the Red River and into, um, uh, into Oklahoma, I think, has the best chance of seeing the most significant uh, amounts of precipitation. But, you know, just south of the Red River through eastern Texas, I think we get a little bit. We get a little bit too in the panhandle, but I don't know if it's going to be a whole lot there. Um, you can extend that northward too through western Kansas and, and Colorado. Uh, there's going to be some showers, but I don't know if it's really going to be much of anything. And it definitely won't be uh, helping out the, to, to ease the drought out there. It's, it's just too deep. All right. It's too deep, too little, too late in the season. John, up in the northern plains, it looks like there might be at least a skiff of snow coming through the Dakotas today. Yeah, we got uh, a couple of little uh, disturbances moving through. One today, we got another one tomorrow, and a third one kind of on Wednesday. So we've got uh, several little pieces moving through. It's not a whole lot of snow, but it's a little bit uh, with each one of those pieces. You could add up uh, all three of them and get some moderate snow amounts around the uh, North Dakota, South Dakota uh, border, um, and maybe into eastern uh, Montana as well. But no, it's not a whole lot, but you know, you get three straight days of snow and it adds up. It does. It does. Those figures do start to, to dollar up here before we get too far out there. John, looking out across the southeast, you mentioned that storm system working its way through the Ohio Valley in the farther southeast, Alabama, Mississippi, Georgia. What do you see taking place down there? The northern sides of them, I think they stay wet. Uh, the same uh, front that I talked about being active all week long uh, will we'll keep the northern sides of those states uh, pretty, pretty wet. Uh, the southern, you know, Areas towards the Gulf of Mexico and towards Florida, I think they stay on the drier side for most of the week uh, until we get that 
final system to kind of push through. We may see some isolated showers out of that, but not a whole lot. So I know we've been dealing with some drought issues down there. We've had some good rain late last week, um, and we might have some uh, drought easement down there, but uh, this week's not going to help too much. All right, John. Well, you mentioned the drought easing, and I pulled up a copy of last week's drought monitor. So the data is valid as of, I believe, the last day of November. And my goodness, it's the first time we've actually seen some substantial reduction in some areas of the U.S. that are under drought. Can you talk about who's been getting enough moisture to, to clear that out across the central plains? Yeah, really, it's been eastern Texas has uh, been in the crosshairs with a lot of these storm systems moving through. You know, we've had a pretty active pattern throughout the, the late fall here and into early December. Um, that's going to continue for, for the rest of the month as well. But, you know, eastern Texas up into southwest Missouri has been kind of at the forefront of, of the, the, the cross section of all these systems moving through. So they, we've had some pretty decent moisture there and a lot of drought easement. Uh, there's some sections of eastern uh, Texas now without drought. They're not in the category on the drought monitor anymore. And, uh, and a lot of areas that are surrounding it that used to be in the very severe and exceptional droughts that are, are you know, more into the, the moderate drought category. So uh, things have uh, seen some improvement there. But, you know, as you go back towards Kansas, especially western Kansas, the Panhandles, uh, Colorado, Nebraska, all those areas are, are still just deep in drought, missing out on all of these systems. Yeah, so that's a great point. Even though we've seen some improvement there in the eastern half, yes, that drought monitor is still very angry and red over parts of southwest Kansas, Texas, and Oklahoma. Still could use some more moisture. But John, given the fact that we have seen this moisture fall really across the, the basin for the lower Mississippi River, can, can we breathe a little bit easier on water levels in the Mississippi here for at least the month of December? Well, we're definitely way up from where we were at uh, back in October uh, when everything was was hitting the fan and, and uh, we were seeing some record low uh, stream flows there on the lower Mississippi. Uh, we, we've kind of, we've come up from there a lot. I mean, we're still dealing with some low water levels, but, you know, we're, we're uh, forecast this week to go up quite a bit. Uh, a lot of areas will come out of, you know, if you look at the, if the maps from the National Weather Service, they turn brown when they're way low. Uh, we've got about four or five of them right now there in the in the lower Mississippi Valley that are that are that are doing that. Um, but a lot of those are, are coming up above above those uh, really low levels here um, this week. Uh, now the forecast for them are to go back below and, and fall again next week. But I don't know this active pattern here makes me think we might uh, see that kind of stave off. I don't know exactly how much of that forecast precipitation is in those models there, but. Uh, no, I, I'm, I'm a little more optimistic about it being, you know, not as bad as we have seen recently. Yes, it's nice to have the winds that are back on the shipping front rather than at our face here on the river issues. Glad to hear some more moisture's coming. John, I want to turn our focus down to South America. So I know you've been watching that continent closely this time of year. And last week when you were on, you mentioned they might be seeing a bit of a heat wave come across to Argentina. Has that ended up developing? It has. And as we're talking here this morning, there's already several spots down in Argentina now hitting triple digits. So uh, they're a couple hours ahead of us, but, you know, around noontime and already hit 100 degrees, that's just brutal. Uh, we've got uh, all every day this week, actually, we'll be up in the in the 90s or hundreds uh, in uh, in the entire country here. Uh, you know, the, the worst anomalies for that are, you know, most above normal will actually be in northern Argentina, but even central and southern Argentina are going to continue to see these days up near or above 100 degrees. Uh, it will come with a little bit of shower activity at times. We've got some very, very small disturbances that will come through, some very spotty showers that might move through. It might keep temperatures more into the low to mid 90s instead of the upper 90s and hundreds. Um, but, you know, it, it's just not a good time to be down there in Argentina. 
um, especially if you're trying to grow crops. So uh, the, the showers that come are just going to dry up immediately. Um, it's not going to really add a whole lot to the soil moisture profile. Uh, they're just going to be used up, uh, you know, just just immediately. The crops are going to continue to suffer there. The crops are going to continue to suffer. And John, I know the planting has been substantially delayed because of the ongoing drought in Argentina. How much longer can they delay it before they've got to throw in the towel? You know, luckily, you know, this part of of the world um, is at, you know, the same sort of latitude south of the equator as Kansas and Oklahoma are north of the equator. So uh, they've got actually a pretty long growing season, so they can delay it quite a bit. Now, their second phase of corn planting really starts right now and goes through about mid-January. So they got about six weeks uh, of planting left to do. But every day they delay, they start to lose more and more sunlight and, uh, and yield potential. So, I mean, they're, they're going to be antsy to do it, but it's just going to be tough to do under such hot and dry conditions. Yeah, it certainly is that La Nina still in effect. John, looking north up to Brazil, of course, we've got the markets eyeing that production, huge soybean production expected. Is the weather supportive of those uh, large projections? For the most part, it continues to be. Uh, we had some showers filling in across much of the country over the weekend. It wasn't great over the south, um, but that's an area that has been pretty good with soil moisture so far. Uh, Showers there are going to probably dry up for the most part midweek, but we might see some isolated showers at times here going forward. Um, that won't be too bad for that part of the country. Farther north, you know, they're back in the wet season rains and um, they're, they're definitely coming on strong here this week. So uh, things are really looking up for soybeans here in Brazil. Uh, the full season corn that's down further south, uh, kind of more toward the outlook for Argentina, not as great, but it's not as bad as them either. So there's a little bit more concern for corn in Southern Brazil right now. Uh, but you know, everything points towards the, uh, the Safrina crop grown later this year, or actually next year in 2023. So um, we'll be a little bit more concerned about that later. Soybeans though, in Brazil are looking real good. With that safrina crop coming online as we're transitioning away from La Nina, does that work well for their production? Uh, for It'll be interesting to see because um, we are in La Nina conditions all the way through the winter here. And usually that means a shorter end to the wet season or a quicker end to the wet season in Brazil. Um, and that would have detrimental effects. But luckily uh, for them, uh, their soybeans were planted on time, so their corn should be planted on time as well. So right now, I'm, I'm, I'm a little skeptical, but, you know, it's just something we're going to have to watch. We'll be keeping an eye on it. No doubt the markets will be as well, folks. We have been talking with John Berenick of DTN Weather. John, thanks for joining us today. Thank you, Mike. Always good to talk to you. And folks, stick with us. Leah Biondo of the U.S. Cattlemen's Association will be joining us when AOA returns. Agriculture of America is brought to you by Senex Maxtron Synthetic Diesel Engine Oils. Oils that run smart. As a farmer, growing your business is more than just a 9 to 5. It's your life's work. That's why the Roundup Ready Extend crop system goes all in to help you stay on top. Backed by decades of innovation, offering the latest trait technology and triple herbicide tolerance, plus more weed species controlled than any other soybean system. Because you mean business, and so do we. Learn more at systemofchoice.com. Claim based on approved EPA herbicide labels as of January 2021. Read and follow pesticide label directions, grain marketing, and other stewardship practices. I think farming picked me. <laughs> I didn't pick farming. 
I'm not afraid to try something new. It's my farm, my family, and our future. My channel Seedsman gets that. I get access to innovative products with personalized advice backed by data to maximize my yield potential. With Channel, I know I'll prosper for years to come. Define your future at channel.com slash future. Read and follow pesticide label directions, IRM, grain marketing, and other stewardship practices. Copyright 2022 Bayer Group. All rights reserved. You're listening to AOA for the American Ag Network. I'm Jesse Allen reporting. Well, as we take a look at what's going on in this grain and livestock trade to start the week, we are quietly higher to start in the grains, mainly quarter beans. Wheat has reversed course here as we work through the open and into the session on Monday. When we see mixed action in the livestock trade as we start things off here for the week, stock futures had a negative tone overnight as traders fretted about next week's Federal Reserve meeting following Friday's strong jobs report. However, commodity prices traded mostly in the green overnight as China took additional steps to open its economy. Crude oil prices trading nearly 3% higher on the weaker dollar and China optimism, while those factors provided the modest boost to the grain and oilseed sector overnight as the yuan surged in value versus the dollar overnight and Chinese stocks jumped as well. So we're watching the situation in China. We're also watching good rains that fell across virtually all of Brazil's primary crop growing areas over the weekend, keeping crops in good condition across most all of the region outside of Argentina as we see that Extreme heat will intensify drought stress in Argentina, where less than a third of the soybean crop has been planted and the overall outlook remains dry. We have dry weather for Argentina, Uruguay and Paraguay here for the week ahead. And that's something to keep a close eye on here. A lot of different things to watch in the backdrop of the commodity markets. I mentioned China. I mentioned South America. USDA will also release its monthly WASDE crop report on Friday although few changes of significance are expected. Over the livestock trade, mostly quiet start to the week with hogs mixed to slightly higher with the December hog contract set to expire here in just a few days. While live cattle first notice day for December is today, live cattle trade is down just slightly with feeder cattle up moderately. This is AOA for the American Ag Network. I'm Jesse Allen. 54. So, basically, it's too late to start saving for retirement, right? Not right. Starting to save, even in your 50s, can really make a difference. Well, right now, saving seems hard to wrap my head around. Plus, with the way this year's been going... <laughs> hey, listen, it's okay. You still got this. Just go to aceyourretirement.org. It's an online tool from AARP that can help you get your retirement savings on track no matter your age. It's free and only takes about three minutes. I like three minutes. Yeah. At aceyourretirement.org, you'll chat with Avo, the friendly digital retirement coach. Just answer a few questions and you'll get a personalized plan and tips to help boost your retirement savings. Tips that are easy to understand and tailored to your lifestyle. I like that too. Plus, it's sponsored by AARP, so you know they got your back. Just head to aceyourretirement.org and make your plan to start saving for retirement. Thanks. That's aceyourretirement.org. A message from AARP and the Ad Council. Agriculture of America is brought to you by Senex Maxtron Synthetic Diesel Engine Oils. Oils that run smart. Keeping America's farmers and ranchers informed on AOA. Now back to Mike Pearson. 
Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to AOA. You know, as we get into the months of December, January, and February across the ag industry, it's a time that, well, Max Armstrong likes to call the learning season. Slip in there, get together, talk with folks from across the industry, and connect on what's moving in our markets. And the U.S. Cattlemen's Association are holding their 15th annual meeting later this week. It's a time to slip in there. Between those fall calving operations and those spring calving operations, everybody can get together in Nashville and discuss the concerns they have and the opportunities they see ahead in the cattle industry. Well, joining us to discuss that is Leah Biondo. She's the Executive Vice President of the U.S. Cattlemen's Association. And Leah, you're getting excited for the 15th annual meeting? I am, and always great to visit you with you, Mike. We've got a full lineup of speakers, some really incredible folks coming out of Washington, D.C., some really great folks coming out from across the country. So huge fan of Mr. Armstrong, too. This really is a learning season for us. It is indeed. Leah, give us the details. Where and when is the 15th annual meeting going to be held? Absolutely. So it's this weekend, December 8th through the 10th in Nashville, Tennessee. So that's uh, Thursday, the board of directors meeting. Friday is going to be our big committee and policymaking day. And then Saturday is our favorite, the Cattle Producers Forum. We'll have folks all the way um from, like I said, Washington, D.C., we're also going to host some really cool panel discussions. Uh, Bitcoin and beef? You'll have to come to find out more. <laughs> that one is going to be very interesting, seeing that intersection of this next generation finance for what it is and how it can interact with really one of the oldest industries there is, of course, livestock production. Leah, another thing that I know you're going to be discussing amongst the memberships is antitrust. That's been a huge concern in the cattle market over the past several years. What will be under discussion there at the meeting? Yes, and so we're we'll we'll be hosting uh, the Department of Justice's Antitrust Division's uh, Attorney General's Deputy Assistant Attorney General Michael Cades and Andy Green, who's with the U.S. Department of Agriculture. He's their Senior Advisor for Fair and Competitive Markets. We'll host them for a panel discussion on Saturday. It's going to be really neat to have that USDA and DOJ um, mashup there at that panel discussion because they have been working so cooperatively to implement uh, the Biden administration's four part plan for a safer and more secure meat uh, meat industry. So uh, we'll see what they have to tell us. We'll see hopefully if they've got some good news for us as we head into the new year. We've spoken with both of them on some of our antitrust concerns, namely that we've got a more consolidated industry than ever and an increasingly consolidated industry. So um, excited to see what they have been up to. Absolutely. And of course, your members coming from all across the country are going to have a lot of different ideas on their mind for discussion. Leah, what policy issues do you think the, the group is still going to be pushing for here in this lame duck session? What, what legislative acts are you watching? Goodness, yeah, the lame duck session, our favorite time of year where they try to jam two years of work into these last two weeks here in December. So, you know, we were on the Hill last week and heard many conversations and met with some of our champions um, we've got two major pieces of legislation still on the books. They do have some pretty major opposition, though. We've got one cattle group who said the bill went way too far, no way. And the other cattle group said the bill did too little. And so that tug of war kind of brought a few key members of Congress to a standstill. Um, but what's interesting to note here as we look towards the lame duck session, that at least one of the big four is neutral on the bill. JBS USA has told congressional offices that they are well prepared to begin participating in the cash market at the levels that would be set within the bill. So that's an average of the past two years of negotiated trade for each of the 
five to seven regions that are going to be developed. So, you know, in full transparency here, Mike, with with our listeners, we don't know what's going to happen in the lame duck session on these two bills. And of course, that's the Cattle Price Discovery and Transparency Act and the Meat and Poultry Special Investigator Act. You know, Senator Grassley was quoted last week saying it's going to be tough to get these bills across the finish line. And I'd have to agree with him on that. Indeed, and Grassley has been on this program before. He's made that same comment, but he also sounds resolute in introducing that idea or a similar one to this next Congress if it doesn't have the legs here in the lame duck session. Is that something you think your members would be excited about, Leah? You know, excited about would be one word. Uh, disappointed would maybe be another. We've been working on this now for, for two years, and of course, Senator Grassley's been working on this since 2000. And, um, you know, we we wanted to see something move here in this Congress. USCA, the U.S. Cattlemen's Association, we've always been in favor of progress. So one step forward is still a step forward. We're really in this fight to the bitter end. I don't want to, you know, divulge too much on our plan B here because we're, we're still working on plan A. Absolutely. That is the name of the game. Push when the iron is hot and it is hot there. We're mixing metaphors like crazy today, Leah, but I want to <laughs> jump to another topic of conversation. It is the lame duck. We're pushing hard on those acts that were introduced previously in the year, but it's also a time we're seeing Congress folks introduce new pieces of legislation here with a few weeks to go. And one of those was uh, Senator Cory Booker of New Jersey introduced the Industrial Agriculture Accountability Act, a collection of practices he'd like to see uh, become law. And I'm wondering, have you at USCA had a chance to look into that, or are those things going to be up for discussion here this week? We have. So as you mentioned, yeah, the lame duck session is a good time for what are called marker bills. So these are bills that are mostly just um, a way for a member of Congress to get their position out on something. We know that they're not going to go anywhere. We know that maybe they're foreshadowing something in the next Congress, but it's no secret. Senator Cory Booker is a vegan we um he's he's kind of an interesting member in that sense because he does support a lot of the things that us um you know independent type of producers support but he also can have a tendency to lean way far in the other direction and and listen to some of his vegan uh advocates here and i think this bill the industrial agricultural accountability act is a result of some of these um vegan advocates pushing for um really strict regulations on the u.s animal agriculture industry one of those would require um imposing new regulations on the transporting of animals over eight hours and so we know from working on the hours of service rules for livestock transporters that most of those trips are between you know those that 10 to, to 14 hour trip that's just because we raise cattle on the outskirts of the u.s and we finish them in the middle of the u.s and so we've got to get cattle from point a to point b as quickly and safely and efficiently as possible and these regulations that are included within the bill just wouldn't allow us to do that. And so that's just one example. The bill's about 50 pages long. There's all sorts of regulations like that included, especially covering what they're calling, you know, industrial animal agriculture, but we know it is more uh, efficient animal agriculture. And so USCA would not support something like this. But but like I said, there's there is points of the bill in here that we could support you know there's there's a little bit in here about increasing capacity for the uh food safety and inspection service inspectors so of course that's something we need we need more fsis meat processing inspectors on the ground and uh senator cory booker does have a habit of doing that of, of inserting some of these things that we would support into a bill that we wholeheartedly would not support 
Yes, well, that is the name of politics, I suppose, finding that middle ground. And Leah, you mentioned there are a lot of ideas coming out of D.C. that would impact the cattle producer down the chain. And one of those ideas has been the proposed rule requiring publicly traded companies under the SEC to release their greenhouse gas emissions and all that sort of stuff, the climate change releases. Is that discussion still ongoing in D.C.? It is still ongoing, but with the change in leadership in the House next year, I can't imagine we'll get any sort of movement on that proposal. Of course, it is an executive proposal, so it doesn't rely too much on uh, Congress to get through, but um, the House or the Senate could certainly rise up and, and institute a law or regulation preventing that from going through. Um, it's really a, a faulty uh, rule there to begin with in, in terms of requiring companies to disclose their greenhouse gas emissions and in some instances that would apply to these feed yards and even downstream um, supply chain folks like our, our producers. And so it's something that USCA has been adamantly opposed to. We've gone on record multiple times voicing our concerns with having to report greenhouse gas emissions. And that has, you know, nothing to do with um, that we we aren't proud of the sustainable efforts in our industry and more to do with just, my goodness, I can't imagine all of the paperwork and all of the additional red tape that that would add to producers who are already overburdened with working with the federal government. That's the truth. It would be a pile of red tape. Glad to hear that there is still discussion and pushing back on that. And yeah, it'll be interesting to see what sort of consequences this last election have when it comes to issues like that. And Leah, before we let you go, we did see some changes to the Endangered Species Act, the addition of the lesser prairie chicken across Texas and New Mexico here past uh, couple weeks ago. Have you heard from your members on concern about how this could impact their operation? Absolutely. So our Public Lands and Environment Committee were at the table before when we were talking about sage grouse and lesser prairie chickens and endangered species listings just aren't the right approach to managing wildlife in these areas where there's a lot of multi-use happening um, on, on public lands. So what we prefer is to see a more collaborative approach like we saw when we prevented the listing of the sage grouse in I think prior to 2015. I'm sure I've got my dates wrong there. But um, what happened there was uh, ranchers came together with conservationists, came together with the environmentalists, and all decided on a plan to move forward here. Adding, again, more government bureaucracy to something like this is is just not the right path forward. It's, it's not good for the animal and it's not good for the people who are using these public lands, which again is a multi-use um, situation there. It certainly is. Folks, if you want to talk about these issues, raise them up in discussion here in this country. Make your way to the 15th annual meeting for the U.S. Cattlemen's Association. Get on their website at uscattlemen.org to learn more. We have been speaking with Leah Biondo, the Executive Vice President. And Leah, thanks for joining us today. Thanks for having us. And folks, stick around. When we return, we'll hear from Jeremy Miller at Senex. Stick here for more AOA. Agriculture of America is brought to you by Senex Premium Diesel. Diesel that doesn't mess around. You are not your diagnosis. A medical chart is not your identity. And vision loss does not define you. Your drive shows who you are. And you are not alone. Because we are driven too. To be a beacon of strength. 
a champion of courage, an advocate for hope. You are not alone because we are stronger together. We drive the research for the cures we are finding. We're fighting macular degeneration, retinitis pigmentosa, Usher syndrome, and the entire spectrum of blinding retinal diseases. We fund. We fight. We, we win. We, 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 we are, are the, the foundation, foundation fighting, fighting blindness. blindness. Together, we are fighting blindness. Join the fight at fightingblindness.org. I'll take dig a little, learn a lot for 30 bushels. Soft and crumbly. Tom. How does healthy soil feel to the touch? Correct. Dig a little for 40 bushels. Sweet and earthy. Tom. What does healthy soil smell like? Yes, go again. Dig a little for 50 bushels. Dark, porous, and alive. Tom. What does healthy soil look like? You win. Understanding the basics and benefits of healthy soil can make your farm a winner, too, through lower input costs, better yields, and drought protection, which can lead to a healthier bottom line for your business. Contact your local Natural Resources Conservation Service office today to find out how you can unlock the secrets in your soil. This message brought to you by USDA's Natural Resources Conservation Service and this radio station. We all know clean fields lead to strong yields. That's why ExtendFlex soybeans offer triple tolerance to dicamba, glyphosate, and glufosinate to control more weed species than any other soybean system. Even tough weeds like water hemp, palmer amaranth, and mare's tail. Get the control, flexibility, and proven performance you need so you can focus on the business at hand instead of beating back weeds. Explore the Roundup Ready Extend crop system at systemofchoice.com. Claim based on approved EPA herbicide labels as of January 2021. Read and follow pesticide label directions, grain marketing, and other stewardship practices. I think farming picked me. I didn't pick farming. I'm not afraid to try something new. It's my farm, my family, and our future. My channel Seedsman gets that. I get access to innovative products with personalized advice backed by data to maximize my yield potential. With channel, I know I'll prosper for years to come. Define your future at channel.com slash future. Read and follow pesticide label directions, IRM, grain marketing, and other stewardship practices. Copyright 2022 Bayer Group. All rights reserved. Do you know how much one stock of wheat is worth? Well, you're about to find out. Wheat is a member of the grass family that produces a dry, one-seeded fruit commonly called a kernel. There are about 1 million kernels of wheat in a bushel, about 50 kernels per stock, which if we do the math is about 20,000 stocks of wheat per bushel. That means that if a bushel is worth $8, then each stock is worth about 0.04 cents. So, you would need 2,500 wheat stocks to equal $1. Now that one bushel of wheat will yield approximately 42 pounds of white flour or 60 pounds of whole wheat flour. A bushel of wheat makes about 42 pounds of pasta or 210 servings of spaghetti. Wheat is the primary grain used in U.S. grain products. Approximately three quarters of all U.S. grain products are made from wheat flour. And in the United States, one acre of harvested land yields an average of around 45 to 50 bushels of wheat. So if you ever wondered how much one stock of wheat was worth, now you know. These farm facts brought to you by the American Ag Network. This is Ernie Johnson Jr. Sports is about overcoming obstacles. And college coaches work hard to help young men overcome Duchenne muscular dystrophy. It's called Coach to Cure MD and you can help. Text the word CURE to 501-501 to donate $25 on your next mobile phone bill. Or go online to coachtocuremd.org. 
Text the word CURE to 501501. Help coaches cure MD. Brought to you by the American Football Coaches Association. When it comes to making plans, you are the best. What about those round trips, which are perfect on your way there and perfect on your way back? Or those meetings with friends, surprise parties, camps, birthdays. The same way you plan for the important moments, start planning to protect you and your loved ones from a natural disaster. Sign up for local weather and emergency alerts. Prepare an emergency kit and make a family communications plan. Get started at ready.gov plan. Brought to you by FEMA and the Ad Council. Agriculture of America is brought to you by Senex Maxtron Synthetic Diesel Engine Oils. Oils that run smart. Keeping America's farmers and ranchers informed on AOA. Now back to Mike Pearson. Welcome back, folks, and thanks for joining us here for AOA. Harvest is tough, and now that you've made it through some of the hardest weeks of the year, both you and your equipment deserve some R&R. But before your equipment takes that long winter's nap, it's important to get ready for sitting dormant in the cold. Even when your equipment isn't running, lubricants play an essential role in keeping it protected. And that's why, as part of your annual winter routine, you'll want to assess your equipment's fluids before you put your equipment away. For more details, Jeremy Miller joins me now. He's a district manager for lubricants at CHS. And Jeremy, what's the first step farmers should take before storing equipment? Well, thanks. I, I think the first step that I would recommend is to get a LubeScan used oil analysis. Um, LubeScan used oil analysis are like a, kind of like a blood test for your equipment. So if you, if you use a, a, an oil analysis kit, it'll help you kind of get a feel for what kind of wares you might be seeing or what kind of contaminants you might be seeing. Jeremy, what should farmers think about when it comes to keeping engines protected? So one of the best practices that I would recommend with, uh, with my friends that farm is to service your equipment before you put it away for the winter. It's very common when we get done with the season, as you mentioned, we've had a, we've had a rough go of it. It's, it's nice to be able to put the equipment away and look at it a little bit later in winter. However, one of the natural byproducts of combusting diesel is the formation of acid. And acid in an engine oil, for instance, would tend to eat at softer metals like bearings and things like that. One of the jobs of an engine oil is to make sure that it's neutralizing those acids. And so if you get done at the end of the season and put your equipment through a, a oil change and put it away with fresh oil in there, you run a better chance of making sure that, that those acids that are flowing around in the oil don't necessarily do any damage to the equipment. And that's so important. Jeremy, as farmers are looking at oil options that are out there, what should they keep in mind when they're looking for diesel engine oils? Well, I tell you, in today's world, we're asking our equipment to do more with less. And so we always recommend taking a look at the Senex Maxtron EnviroEdge or the Maxtron DEO oils. They're made with synthetic base oils and high quality performance additives to help them protect your equipment and keep it reliable as long as possible. Jeremy, where can folks go to learn more? There's a couple places. First, if you go to Senex.com, you'll see a couple areas where you can find all the information you might need about the products, including product data sheets and safety data sheets. Um, but you can also reach out to your local Senex dealer. Fantastic, folks. We have been talking with Jeremy Miller, District Manager for Lubricants at CHS. Jeremy, thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me. 
And folks, we've got some other news stories we want to be sure we cover here before the end of the program. Notably, it was reported last week that U.S. farm income is expected to soar to a record high in 2022. New data coming out of USDA this past week shows that net farm income is expected to increase to $160.5 billion in 2022. That's up from $141 billion in 2021. It's an increase of nearly $20 billion. And now a lot of this is coming from the crop sector. No doubt we take a look at the prices on the board of trade. We can certainly tell that those prices are higher and we're pulling the more of those dollars into rural America. What's notable here, this is net cash farm income. So we're, we're uh, excuse me, we're looking at net farm income is what we're looking at here. And what they did found, find is that sales of livestock cash receipts were up nearly 31% this year to $256 billion. The much higher value of American crops and commodities broadly is what is pushing this net farm income to its highest level since 1973 on an adjusted for inflation basis and net cash farm income would be at its highest level on record. Now, the slight difference between net cash farm income and net farm income is based on how the agency accounts for different types of farm income. So that's why that discrepancy is up there. But in both cases, either a 50-year high or a record high, we are seeing farmers pull more dollars into their operation. The key, of course, is managing those dollars coming in versus those going out. As we talked about with Darren at the start of the show, this crude oil rally has certainly been something to watch. Taking a look at some other stories that are moving the ag markets, avian influenza continues to have an impact. This past week, it was announced that four more large turkey operations in South Dakota have confirmed HPAI. That pushes the total number of birds affected by the virus here in the U.S. Remember last week, we talked about this. We'd hit a record high, crossed over that 2015 HPAI outbreak at 50 million birds. This week, we're up to nearly 53 million birds. In the past two weeks alone, over 450,000 turkeys have had to be depopulated due to HPAI and that ongoing outbreak. A look at some other news for you folks who are producing more than just the big three, corn, beans, and wheat on your operation. If you're adding oats or rye, there was a big change from the risk management agency here at the end of November. They expanded their offering for oat and rye producers, and importantly, they have added revenue protection. This has never been available here for these particular small grains, but given the volatility that we've seen notably in oat prices from planting through to harvest and the rise that we've seen over the past two growing seasons, in some cases it's been as much as 30%, RMA was feeling the pressure from producers that they wanted some other way to hedge that additional harvest price risk and ensure some kind of revenue protection. And that's what RMA has come out with. Prior to this rule, they announced prices for oats and rye up to 11 months in advance of harvest. And then that was where we saw that price swing heading into harvest. And this would allow some producers to capture on that harvest price option. Now, this is going to be out. It is going to naturally cost more in premiums as you go from a yield protection model to a revenue protection model. But as economist Chad Hart of Iowa State University notes that this is now covering a lot more protection, particularly in those two markets that have been so volatile as of lately. We did have another story out of JBS. It was announced again this past week that they have 
made an agreement to acquire certain assets from Tri-Oaks Food. Tri-Oaks is a pork producer based in the Midwest. We don't know the amount of money that will change hands for this business relationship to move forward, but they do say that JBS has been the exclusive customer of Tri-Oak Market since 2017. So it's just sort of codifying an agreement that was effectively already in place. Folks, tune in tomorrow. We'll turn our focus back to the cattle industry with our friends from NCBA. We'll also take a look at the markets as they continue to move in this volatile period of economic, well, hopefully recovery. Thanks for listening to AOA, folks. We'll see you tomorrow for more AOA. Agriculture of America is brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel. Diesel that doesn't mess around. 2022 will be remembered for chaos between war, inflation, and weather. But if there's one thing farmers know, it's that there's no such thing as normal. That's why this year's DTN Ag Summit will focus on strategies to help conquer the chaos and ways farmers can build endurance for their business. Hear from leaders at CHS, Bayer, and Corteva, as well as farmers from across the country, all from the comfort of your home or office. Join us for this completely virtual event held December 12th and 13th. Register today at DTN.com slash Ag Summit. Tune in the first Wednesday of every month to listen to the monthly grind here on AOA. It's brought to you by our friends at the National Corn Growers Association, and each month we're going to dig into one specific aspect of corn demand. What happens to this grain after it leaves your operations and enters the global supply chain? That's what we're going to talk about each month on the monthly grind. Again, that's the first Wednesday of every month, and you can also find us wherever you listen to your favorite podcast. It's a show you don't want to miss. As an organ donor, your story doesn't have to end. The good in you can live on. In fact, you could save up to eight lives with your gifts. Your heart could keep beating. Your kidneys could keep filtering. And your intestines could keep on digesting for others. And that's not all. You can improve the lives of 50 more people as an eye and tissue donor, restoring sight and health. And you're not just helping out the person receiving the transplant. You're touching whole families with your life-saving gift. Register in minutes. Just go to organdonor.gov. You'll be happy you did. And just maybe, someone else will be happy too. Sign up today. Go to organdonor.gov. It saves lives. U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, Health Resources and Services Administration.